Welcome to the Simplify and Multiply Show, episode two of season six, where we're talking all about beliefs and business. And today, my guest is Alan Zimmerman. Let's go ahead and get started. If you are a solopreneur and want growing your business to be easier, welcome to the Simplify and Multiply Show, hosted by award-winning creative, business development expert, and tactical coach, Terry Pappy. The Simplify and Multiply Show promises to become your practical, tactical, and motivational guide to succeeding as a solopreneur. Hey there, Solo. I'm Terry Pappy, and I created Simplify and Multiply to provide you a place where you can discover how to make your business more profitable. I'm going to do this by helping you remove the complexity from marketing and business development. So if that sounds good to you, listen in. Well, welcome, Alan Zimmerman, to the Simplify and Multiply show. I am so glad that you're here with your big smile. I wish my <laughs> listener could see your big, wonderful smile. It's so good to see you. You too, Terry. It's a pleasure. I love having a chance to visit with you and other people. Great. Well, we're going to have a wonderful show today because your expertise is right in the center of the theme for this season, which is all about how beliefs shape your business. And as you know, my listener is a solopreneur, and I love to keep the conversation close and tight into what it's like to be a solopreneur. And I know when you started your business, you were a one-person business owner for quite a while, and now you've reached this point where you've grown your team and you're doing so well. And that's why I love bringing people like you in to have conversations about things because you help a lot of my solo listeners who are either just starting out or they're kind of going through a little growth pain and they just need a little bit of guidance. So thank you so much for being here. Absolutely. My pleasure. So why don't we just start by just tell our listeners so they have a little bit more context about the work you're doing now and maybe a little bit about how you did get started. I've been a full-time professional speaker for a good 30 years, providing over 3,000 programs, 49 states, 22 countries. I'm proud of the fact we've maintained a 92% repeat and referral business. Wow. Got into it really accidentally. I was a tenured professor teaching interpersonal communication. Loved that, no complaints. Kept getting asked by local businesses to come and speak to them about some of the things I was teaching that at that time were revolutionary, self-esteem, small group communication, conflict resolution, attitude, motivation. Those were new topics. They're not anymore. Yeah. And uh, they began asking me to come and speak at their companies. I got so busy doing that, I had to make a decision. Uh, continue teaching or start my own business, and I chose the latter. Which I'm glad you did, because I think you've been able to reach so many more people as a result of that. So yeah. thank you for taking that <laughs> choice and that path. So something you said about um, those topics you briefly mentioned and how they were new topics then and they're not so new today. And I agree with you on that. And I've seen the evolution of just self-improvement, self-examination and what now what then maybe have been taboo is now generally accepted by the public. I mean, we can all have conversations about this. What is your opinion about that evolution and how people are embracing or maybe not so much embracing that type of personal development? I think people are beginning to realize that they can achieve tomorrow's goals with yesterday's skills. 
We're mm. beyond that point of thinking that I finished high school, I finished college, I finished my master's, and I'm done. Uh, those people tend to fall out by the wayside rather quickly. Yeah. So continuing education has become much more acceptable. And I find those topics that I specialize in, attitude, motivation, communication, leadership, biggest complaint I hear from my clients, they'll say, our people really know their business. They know the product, they know the process, they're good at that. Our biggest problem is always the people problem. Mm that they were not taught how to do those kinds of things. And so I think those topics that were new then have now become evergreen and will never go away. There'll always be people problems, yeah. self-esteem issues, motivation issues is here to stay. Yeah, because the, of the one common ingredient, what it is to be a human being. Yeah. We're kind of stuck with that, aren't we? <laughs> and you think about it, really, no one was taught how to do those things. Yeah. How to build and maintain your confidence, how to lead somebody else, how to resolve a conflict, how to keep your attitude positive. Maybe you had a coach that taught you some of those things inadvertently, maybe a wonderful parent. But for the most part, it was accidental, not a pursuit that people actually took after and mastered. Yeah, that it was a deliberate, intentional pursuit of self-improvement. And and that's what I love about this, what you mentioned about learning. And it's not just learning the pragmatic skills or a skill that you could use in a trade or a job or what have you. It's the true intangible skills, the people skills, as you put it. And I think that those are making up more of the economy than a lot of the traditional skills. And I'll give you a little context there. When I in working in the solopreneur economy and talking with people who are one person business owners, people who are selling their expertise based on what they know, um, consultants, speakers like yourself, people who are authors, who train, who coach, who, you know, whether you're in a somatic practice like health and wellness or whether you're teaching somebody something that's more intellectual, uh, such as like a professor, as you were. And these things are because they're so intrinsic to the human condition that I believe that we make we make so many decisions based on relationship, trust, um, you know, having that understanding and the clear communication. And those things are hard to measure. And they're also hard to teach because we're myopic. We only see from inside the jar. And we can't really have that objectivity about our own behavior until we're in a situation where we have an experience of someone saying no to our offer to, you know, sell them something or someone to hire us or whatever the case may be. So I think that that's fascinating that there is this undercurrent and maybe it's not an undercurrent. Maybe it's more of a, you know, high tide coming in with the the generations younger than the boomers who are really making learning and ongoing learning on all levels, the academic, the the tactical, as well as the interpersonal, like super, super important and something they look at as a lifelong journey. Well, I think we've moved from an era when those topics we've been talking about were sneered at. They were called mm. soft topics, mm -hmm. touchy-feely, woo-woo, uh, put down as though they weren't as important as the hard sciences or hard topics. And think we're beyond that. I often tell my audiences that the soft stuff is the hard stuff. Mm. 
You it get, is. It is. <laughs> if you get people to do what you want them to do, to give 120%, to be committed to quality, to care about relationships, that's the hard stuff. Yeah, because it's so subjective and qualitative. It's hard to measure. But it is learnable. That's the mm -hmm. good thing. Yeah. That it's one hesitation I have with some of the instruments out there. People take an instrument and they'll cop out and say, well, that's just who I am. I've always been mm -hmm. that way. I can't change. And that's not right. The whole premise of education is we can learn and we can change. It may be easier to learn some skills for some people than others, but they're all learnable. Uh, for mm -hmm. example, I come out as a introvert on those quizzes, but my mm -hmm. old job is <laughs> extrovert, be yeah. on stage, be with people. <laughs> totally. So I'm reluctant when people start saying, that's just the way I am. I can't help it. I can't yeah. change. Oh, yes, you can. Yeah. It's a cop out. I, I think I, I don't want to be a hardliner or sound parental or anything, but it is. And it's partly cop out like they're afraid to really address the real issues. And it's also because they really don't have a pathway. And that's why I love, you know, when people like you come and, and make themselves available and they get access to you and what you can provide through all of your work, your training, your programs, your keynotes, everything that you do, you're so committed to helping people navigate that and be okay with it. Well, the key question is how. I find that my customers, they don't really care that much about academic theory, mm. this model or that model. Just tell me how to do it, yeah, how to do it true. more effectively, more easily, more quickly. I yeah. want to be good at my relationships with my wife, my husband, my kids, my customers. How do I do it? Give me some skills. So I see the hunger. And what they're getting sometimes is academic fluff, mm. uh, motivational stories that are cute, but there's no how-to. Yeah. And that's where the hunger is right now. How do mm -hmm. I do this? Mm -hmm. How do I make it real? And I bet, and I bet you could share some stories of when you've gone into a context of a, a large company organization, a Fortune 50, Fortune 500 company, and you've done your work. And the goal initially may have been, or the scope of the work would be to help them with, it, you know, in business communications and leadership skills in all of these types of soft skills, but within the context of the company, when in fact, I bet you heard back from them that they were able to communicate better with their spouse, that they, you know, uh, got better relationships with their kids, that they were not as quick to judge. And, you know, all these things that happen outside of the cubicle, so to speak, that really is further evidence of the value of it. And, and I'm pleased to announce I've gotten thousands of testimonies, emails. <laughs> just, I know the audience can't see it. I just got two yesterday from Ford Motor Company. Mm. It was a uh, organization that had been written up in New York Times as horrifically negative, sued by the federal government for sexual abuse and harassment many times for hundreds of millions of dollars. Wow. And they brought me in for a few days to work with their top leaders. And they said, it's not going to work because they're all negative. They're not going to want to be here. They all stay <laughs> they're not going to listen. <laughs> and the general manager, the top leader, sent me a note back. We've never seen our people so engaged, so excited. Aww. Couldn't wait to get to class. Didn't want to leave class. They're applying it. We're seeing it work. Uh, and that's what it's all about. Yeah. Well, that says volumes about the work that you do and, and how you deliver this how-to, if you will, 
uh, to your clients and customers. And I think that that's fabulous. So what I want to do now, Alan, is I want to bring it down out of the stands and down onto the court and talk Mm -hmm. about solos. So now that, you know, we kind of have a little better context about the work you do and just kind of talking about the human condition, these soft skills, what I know of by being a solopreneur as well as serving solopreneurs is that the beliefs that we carry, that the thoughts that we think, the attitudes, predispositions, all of that that we have about who we are, what our marketplace is, what our products and services are, just business in general and our clients shapes our business. Yes. So I'd like for you to just kind of talk a little bit about that from the perspective of the solopreneur. First thing I would say is be very careful of telling yourself mind binders. Mm. And a mind binder, yeah, a mind binder is a negative comment we tell ourselves over and over again. It might be, I can't make a cold call. I can't close that sale. Mm. I can't speak to that audience. I'll never get ahead. I'll never make it in this profession. Because the key is you'll never rise above your own self-talk. Wow. The more you say that, the more you tend to believe it, and you must act accordingly. Give a silly example. Uh, I've seen this happen dozens of times in seminars. People get a cup of coffee during break, bring the coffee in the room, put the coffee on the floor by their chair, and they'll say, now watch me spill this. And what do they do? They spill it. You perform exactly as you tell yourself. It's the key premise in psychology, key premise in psych. self-esteem you perform exactly as you tell yourself and so when you tell yourself those kinds of things i can't make the call i can't close the sale you're almost ensuring failure yeah wow if i catch myself thinking that way or uttering that comment i immediately talk back to myself i'll say now alan just stop it now stop it and by talking back to yourself firmly and repeatedly you can stop that thought pattern So that's the first thing I would say is be aware of the mind binders. You may be killing off your own success. You'll never do better than your mind allows you to do. Love it. Love it. And, you know, it's what I love is that you just gave a succinct solution because so many people would want to take that awareness about negative self-talk and they would want to unpack why. Like, oh, you know, my mom did this to me or my dad never listened to me. And so I wasn't worthy worthy of attention. So, you know, I'm no good at that. That's not necessary, is it? It's getting it in the moment because what matters is what's going on right now in your head. A why question or whose fault, uh, who's to blame question keeps you stuck. Yes, I love that. It's the what question, the how question that moves you forward. Yeah, it puts you in action and and allows you to take responsibility for creating that thought. Mm -hmm. So first thing, stop the mind binders. Second thing is plant affirmations in your mind. Say them to yourself over and over again. There's something in physics called the displacement principle. If I had a bucket of water up here and dropped in a stone, I would displace an equal volume of water. Mm -hmm. I put in lots and lots of stones. Pretty soon I have lots of stones and very little water. It's the same way the human mind works. You put a positive thought in your mind and you displace an old negative thought. Put enough positive thoughts in and there won't be much of that old negative holding you back. So what if mom and dad were unfair? Some teacher was inappropriate. That's the past. Put enough Mm -hmm. positive in there. Push out the old. It might be 
I'm a great salesperson. I can handle this business. I make rational decisions. I think before I speak. I speak with confidence. People are drawn to me. Put those comments in and it'll start making a huge difference. Terry will be right back with the rest of the show in just a moment. Are you getting the sense that there may be some long-held beliefs getting in the way of your business thriving? A solopreneur business can be challenging at times to say the least. Everything from simplifying marketing to keeping your pipeline filled with a steady stream of great clients, there is a ton to do to run your business and be successful. The cause of these challenges may not necessarily be the economy, a missing marketing tactic or strategic action you're not taking, but a hidden belief that doesn't serve you or your business. The good news is you can uncover and change a belief that's sabotaging your business happiness, and I have the tools that'll help you. You'll find them inside my new home for solopreneurs, Pappy Club. I invite you to join for free right now. Get what you need to crush those limiting beliefs and define new beliefs that support business success and your overall happiness. Head over to pappyclub.com to sign up and start infusing your thinking with positive beliefs that support how awesome you are and all of the great things you've yet to accomplish in your business and life. That's P-A-P-P-Y-C-L-U-B dot com to sign up now and I'll see you there. Now for people who the, the act of aff- affirming and doing that is, I don't want to say lip service, but some people, because they don't believe it, like in their deepest subconscious or whatever, they don't believe that they're a good salesperson, for example, um, just saying it may not be enough. So is the practice just to repeat, kind of like drown that out? Or what do you recommend? Well, belief comes after repetition. Okay. So you don't have to believe it first. If you believed it first, you wouldn't be saying it. You wouldn't need to say it. Yeah, good point. And so if I affirm enough that I'm confident, I will become more confident. But it also helps to actually say them out loud and say them with emphasis. Say it like you mean it. Yeah. A simple exercise I have people do in a workshop is have them list 20 things they're really good at. And then they each share their list. And I say, I want you to say it like you mean it. The person that's listening, listen to what they say, but in particular, listen to their tone of voice. If you ever hear them use a whiny, sheepish, apologetic tone of voice, or if you hear them saying things like, well, I really shouldn't mention this one. I'm not too good at that. Your job is to instantly interrupt them and say, I think you need to repeat that one. Wow. In other words, say it like you mean it. And eventually you will believe it. Yeah. Interesting. That's, that sounds like a really cool exercise, especially when you have the accountability partner. Mm-hmm. So what else? What are some other things? Well, another technique I love is the problem versus blessing method. I tell people in a seminar, take a piece of paper, put a line down the middle, top of the left-hand side, write the word problems and list all your problems, business problems, financial problems, relationship problems, health problems, write them all down. Top of the right-hand column, put the word blessings. And for every problem you list, put a counteracting blessing. I do a two-day boot camp called Journey to the Extraordinary. I do this exercise. I had a lady in there a while ago. In her early 80s, God bless her, still wanted to learn. 
Wow, I love it. And she wrote down this. I call it the positive but. Problem versus blessing. She wrote, I lost my husband recently, but I still have my children. I lost a lot of money when my stocks dropped drastically, but I have my house, which is paid for. Mm -hmm. My hearing has gotten rather poor, but I can still see very well to read. My son moved out of town, but he still calls me every week. You see the point? Yes, you can absolutely. On the problem side that you lost a husband, lost some money, and be as depressed as you want to be. Mm -hmm. can focus on the fact that I got some kids, a kid that calls, a site that works, and be as positive as you want to be. Yeah, well, the way that exercise works, and this is what I love about it, is your ending or your coming full circle with the positive aspect. So what that does is that removes the focus from the negative into the positive. And I think so much of what or what we get caught up in is we get caught up on the negative because it turns into a worry. Yes, yes. And so the key there is focus. Right? Focusing on the problem side or the blessing side. For solopreneurs, it's easy when there's a lack of clients, funding, a million things yes. to do, a lack of help to focus on all the problems. Mm -hmm. And the focus on that side will kill you. Yep. Write your list. Focus on the other side. Yeah. And you know, it's so funny that you said that because I actually just got off of a of a very good call with one of my clients who was facing exactly that scenario he was had had a meeting with one of his uh financial people and he was they were doing forecasting and he was freaking out a little bit about it like he got kind of overexposed to maybe the downside of you know and this is obviously a projection future so you have no idea if it's going to happen or not and it put him in a little bit of a tailspin. And so our conversation was about getting him back on track with strategy and focusing on not just what he needed to do in order to get things going again or not really getting them going again. I mean, things were not bad. That's the whole point. It's like he just got distracted by looking at the negative and he let it run away with him. He got fished in by it. And so bringing him back and having him realize everything's going to be fine. You're on the right track. Focus on your blessings. And I just think that's so cool. You just shared that exercise. I love that. I'm going to start using that <laughs> with works. my clients if that's okay. Absolutely. <laughs> and myself. <laughs> A fourth uh, technique I would suggest is see the positive in every situation. I don't think a positive mindset means that everything is good. Bad things yeah. happen. Difficulties yes. come. That's part of being a solopreneur. But you can see the positive in every situation. I don't believe life is totally good or bad, black or white. Any situation, even a rotten situation, always, always, always has something good in it. Absolutely. You can see the positive. You maintain the energy, the attitude, the enthusiasm. And the person that taught me that, um, well, we've had a lot of news about Iran lately and uh, terrorism. If you remember back in the 80s when they had mm -hmm. the Iran hostage crisis. Yeah, I do. Yeah, of course. Americans locked up for 444 days. The highest ranking official military was Colonel Chuck Scott. They thought he was CIA, a spy, which he wasn't. But somebody else, a stool pigeon, another hostage, ratted him out and said he's the spy and as a result gave him more torture. Hmm. When he came back 
to this country. I spent two days with them. And he said, Alan, that was the best experience of my lifetime. And I said, what? And he said, yeah. don't misunderstand me. I got more torch than anybody else. But I realized, I got back to American soil. If I could make it through Iran, I could make it through anything. Heck yes. Because I no longer worry whether you like me or dislike wow. me. Whether I get a job or lose a job. I passed the test. I can do it. He saw it as a test and did very well as a speaker, as a solopreneur for years yeah. and years afterwards. Others stayed messed up all their lives. Fascinating. Wow, what a gift to be able to sit with him and have that experience yes. of him sharing that story. And it made me just turn around and I write books on this. I, I talk about it. Mm -hmm. And I'm usually very positive, energetic, and upbeat. But I'll get down like anybody else on occasion. And when I of do, course. I always ask, what's the positive in this situation? I always find something mm -hmm. and recapture the momentum, the energy, the enthusiasm. Well, you've honed that craft as well, and that's why you can deliver it so well. But this is this is so insightful. And, you know, it made, as you were telling that story, I just to my own personal experience, when my husband passed away, I thought, you know, when I got on the other side of my grief, I was like, I'm still here. And if I could get through that and, you know, survive that, I can do anything. And it, and it enabled me to become a published author and start my own business. And I probably wouldn't have had the, the gumption or the, the strength to actually do that had I not gone through that horrible experience of having that loss. And so I, I mean, in my own way, I can relate to that story. Um, but um, just to have that in your pocket and have that as an experience that you can base so much of your work on is incredibly powerful. So I can, I can see why you're so committed to it. And when we're looking at a solopreneur who very often it's a lonely vocation, it's, you know, we work from home or we're on the road a lot and, and a lot of times it's easy to get caught up in that uh, negative self-talk or worry. And that does have an impact on our beliefs. And then next thing you know, uh, a client checks bounces, you know, and you don't get that proposal approved like you wanted to. So how does a solo like stop the cascade of the things that are manifesting as a result of their focus not being on the right thing? Well, Mama was right when she said, choose your friends carefully. Yeah. <laughs> Who you hang around makes a huge, huge difference. We know that negative energy is very contagious. It rubs off. Oh, yes. A number of studies on that. You can take five positive people having lunch, talking about life and their joys and blessings, have a negative person join them, and nine out of ten times... When the negative person begins griping, the others join in. Well, that reminds me of, that's nothing compared to. Yeah. Highly contagious. <laughs> so if you happen to be around some other solopreneurs, friends, family, customers who are always griping, complaining, nothing ever works. You may have people that call you three times a week, a relative. This doesn't work. That doesn't work. And you listen hour after hour and they never change. Mm. They don't do anything. The strategy I suggest there is creative neglect. Explain. Creative neglect might be, I, if you pull away from those people who are always griping, who have no desire to change, they just want to dump their garbage in your backyard. It may be, I'm really sorry to hear that. I wish things were going better. Wish I had a bit more time right now. Got to run. Talk to you later. 
and you teach them that if they're going to dump, you're not going to listen. But if they're taking these positive steps, that's great. Tell me more. You encourage that. Mm -hmm. But also a key in my life, a mastermind group ah, teamed yeah. up with 10 other solopreneurs. They're positive, hardworking people I respect doing well. We met for 20 years. Did you really? We're still meeting. Oh, We're meeting wow. next weekend in Marco Island. 16 of us get in ah, together. That's awesome. And I could take, I won't do it right now, but I tell people, I could easily rattle off five ideas I picked up from those people that made me $5 million wow. that I never would have known had we had not that chance to sit, talk, brainstorm ideas. So choose some positive people, hang around them, seek them out. Because the toxic people, the negative ones, they're always available. Yeah, <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> the positive ones are busy. Yeah, no, I want to. I want to. Love the idea of a mastermind, and and I've talked with my guests uh, and myself uh, about this several times on the show. And one of the things that I find interesting about masterminds is the or organic mastermind. Like no money is exchanged; it's a mutual agreement. It kind of comes together very organically. Um, are the most powerful and long-lasting. I interviewed Troy Hazard in last month's uh, season, and he talked about his advisory group. And it's a small group. It's just four guys. And they're all in different businesses, but they've met for 25 years a couple times a year, and they all help each other with business ideas and things like you were saying, because last season was all about how creativity transforms your business. And what I loved about that is it was an organic thing put together. Now, you go online or you go to even like an NSA or some type of conference or whatever, and you are presented with so-and-so coach who has a mastermind group that you have to pay to be in. So when you have this gamut of mastermind models, the paid kind, the kind that's more like about, you know, getting a business coach and then the kind that happen organically, what would you advise to help that solopreneur create I would say it sounds like an organic one would be the better model because it'd be more objective. How would you say about them finding those people? I mean, there might they might not have access to people who are positively charged who can contribute. And that's always been a, a challenge for masterminds is to have an even value exchange. Yeah, I've been a part of two mastermind groups, one for 10 years, the one I'm still in for 20 years. Mm -hmm. First group was excellent but not as productive. We had all mm -hmm. levels in our careers, beginning in their profession to those who were making millions, those who wanted to work full-time, those part-time. And there was such a diversity of levels that we ended up doing more personal coaching than business professional coaching with, with one another. I gotcha. So, okay, but not exactly what we were all looking for. The group I've been part of for 20 years now, we're all speakers, all in different areas. We began with three, four, five people, and to invite somebody else in had to have unanimous consent of the rest of the group. We got as high as 11. Everybody had to agree that they would be there, but one of the keys for our success has been equal level. Everybody's making about the same amount, has similar kinds of goals. Instead of all this pros trying to focus on the newbies, getting them started. Right, right. Equal sharing, yeah. Each, yeah. equal Good levels point. of expertise. Good point. The other thing is commitment. Mm. We made a decision that outside of family emergency, you can never miss a meeting. If you're gonna take a booking, 
work with a client and skip this mastermind group, you are no longer a member of the group. We found I like that, that boundary though. That has worked so well. One person yeah. violated it and it'd be a person known to everybody on this podcast and then we're disinvited. Yeah. But it's kept the group healthy and strong for 20 years. That's awesome. Yeah, I like that it's, you know, being all speakers, you all get the industry. You get what it is to be yes. in the biz and being able to share pain and, and be able to help each other uh, overcome that, um, I think is really super powerful. And I, and I also want to point out that you definitely want to have people more of a peer-to-peer -peer yes. as opposed to all these different levels or different stages uh, because yeah one person will feel like they're giving all the time and the rest right. are getting and that kind of thing and and that's when i think masterminds can get a little out of balance um yeah especially when you're adding people over time because then the early people think that they're the ones bringing the value creating the value exactly yeah no, it's totally a tricky agree. thing it really is you you definitely if you can find the right people and I think spending some time defining what that is and clarifying what that is and asking where are those people and asking people where are those people? <laughs> if you find one or two people that you find effective, skilled, you respect, you admire, want to learn more from them, you can begin brainstorming. Who else do we know yeah. that we might interview? And actually, we have an interview process before we add anybody to the group. We have a conference call, interview them with all kinds of questions, and then decide amongst the group, shall we invite this person in or not? And uh, it's worked. Never made a bad choice. Never had a person that didn't fit. Now, does everybody vote on the newbie who's coming in? <laughs> oh, yes, yes. I bet, yeah. And um, our format has simply been we meet three times a year for a day and a half. Start on oh, a Sunday. Okay, so you're spending time together. I like oh, that. Oh, yes. Start on Sunday, finish Monday afternoon, and then the fourth meeting, we bring our spouses. That happens to be the one we're doing this next weekend in Marco. That's why it's more than eight, nine yeah, people. I like that. Spouses along. So it has a social dimension that uh, part of the weekend is that we make it three days, then four days. Mm -hmm. Play for three days and business meeting for a day. Yeah. And, and what I like about that, Alan, is that you're, you get to know people, all aspects of their yeah. lives. Yeah who they're married to, what their kids are like. You know, you just really get a full dimensionality yes. around that person. And you just get to know them intimately, especially when you've been doing it for 20 years. My goodness, you know, just the commitment there is, is oh, remarkable. We're family. We've been to each other's weddings and funerals and ups and downs personally and professionally. It's a yeah. group that we just treasure. Yeah, I can tell. And being part of NSA, and just working with so many speakers myself, I just love the commitment that people have to one another in the speaker family and how close-knit it really is and how giving it is. I think that the organization has set a culture and a tone of a very servant mentality, and I think that that's wonderful. And that's why I love working with speakers and love being involved with the organization. So <laughs> It's wonderful. And for those who don't know, it's extremely rare. Yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Yeah, especially in an industry that you would think would be so highly competitive. Yes. Yeah. As well. I've never yeah. seen anything like it in any industry. Yeah. Yeah. Fabulous. Oh, Alan, this has been such a great conversation. You really gave some practical 
tactical how-tos on focusing on the positive. And as you said in one of your programs, you cannot talk to yourself negatively and expect positive passion and positive results. And I love that. I think that's so profound. And a lot of it is just we have to catch ourselves. Mm -hmm. We have to catch ourselves in that negative diatribe. And I, my little trick that I have, if I could add to your list, yes. is when you have an emotion that is a negative emotion, like if you're feeling worried or depressed or angry or anything that's kind of on that lower scale, it's typically because you're focused on something that's negative or a worry. And that's usually my telltale feedback I get from my body that my emotion is is not where I like it. I'm not, you know, it's like when somebody meets you and they're like, oh, you know, you're in a bad mood or whatever. It's kind of like that. When you pay attention to that, say, all right, hold on one second. What am I thinking that I'm feeling this way? And I can usually almost I automatically identify what it is. And then you catch that thought because so much of it is because it's running in the background. Yes. And you don't notice it. And before you know it, all of a sudden, you know, you're just in this crappy mood. And <laughs> so that's my little trick to get a hold of those negative, uh, that self-talk that is so detrimental and deliberately, as you said, intentionally shift it into something positive. And I love that two column exercise too. <laughs> that, you know, the negative and then the butt and then the, the blessing. Uh, that's great. I, I definitely am going to start using that with my clients. That's awesome. Well, listen, thank you so much for being here and helping us take a more sharper look at how our beliefs can shape our business and stepping into the solopreneur world with me. And I wish you all the best. And please come back and be on the show with us again soon. This has been fun. My pleasure. Thanks, Terry. All right. Take care, Alan. Thanks. Well, that's it for this episode. Thank you for joining me. You know, being a solo can be incredibly rewarding when you have the right guidance, resources, and community to help drive your business vision. The great news is that's exactly what you'll get with Simplify and Multiply. You've just listened to another episode of the Simplify and Multiply show with Terry Pappy. If you want to get free marketing and business development tips, templates, trainings, and more, head over to simplifyandmultiply.com and sign up. Learn how you can grow your business the easy way. That's simplifyandmultiply.com to join our growing community of amazing, talented solopreneurs out to simplify their business, multiply their income, and make a big impact in the solopreneur economy.